All right. So we are in for more blessing. We had the Niagara conference this past week, but those blessings are going to overflow today. And uh, Pastor uh, Benjamin Robinson, he is a pastor. He's a senior pastor at uh, Living Hope, along with his wife. Uh, they lead the church there in Emeryville, California. Emeryville is a, is a, is a city between Oakland and Berkeley. And uh, uh, they, they came out here along with, um, actually, Pastor uh, Benjamin's parents are also here. So I just want to honor them, uh, Peter and Dan. They actually spoke at the conference. Will you guys stand for a moment? Honor Peter and Diane. Sorry, I have a mint in my mouth. Um, yesterday, I was doing a conference, I mean, doing a seminar at, at 10 a.m. And uh, toward the end of my seminar, I hear like all this like, ah, like all this like commotion in the next room. And uh, it was uh, uh, Diane Robinson, uh, Pastor Benjamin's mama, uh, was doing some deliverance, some healing and deliverance up in that piece. And the funny thing is, I was kind of talking about those things. And then I was like, yeah, we need to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Ah! I was like, wow, <laughs> somebody's demonstrating the kingdom over there. Um, but it was such a blessing to have both of you, um, uh, just a fellowship and to uh, sit under your teachings. Thank you for coming. What a blessing. Um, at this time, I want to uh, welcome up. And let's put our hands together. Welcome up Pastor Benjamin Robinson. He'll be speaking for us today. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? Christian, that's jacked up. You took a, a minute of my time. It's, uh, it's, you know. But I'm going to take a couple other minutes. Pastor Christian and Aaron, come stand here. I'm going to release this word over you. before. Um... Hmm. I want to start, want to start by saying I just, I just love the both of you so much. I just love the both of you so much. I, I just have fallen in love with you. Uh, uh, that's okay. And uh, the Lord's just given, I believe, given us a deep love for one another. And that's really the essence of the kingdom is love. And that's the essence of long-term relationship is love. And I don't just like you. I love you. And, and my wife loves you. And, uh, and I can't wait till we can spend more time together. All right. Now uh, I've got 34 minutes and 36 seconds uh, and I don't have the gift of brevity. So pray for, pray for a new anointing to come. This is going to be a miracle, but, but God's going to do it. No, God's going to do it. Amen. You happy to be in the house of the Lord today? I just sense the fire of God. I just feel the fire of God. I just feel the fire of God. And I know God has something to say, but, um, Open your Bibles with me, the book of John, chapter 5. And, and while, I'm, while you're turning there, I just want you to know that, uh, you know, we're, we're yoked together now. You have a sister church in Emeryville, California now called Living Hope Christian Center. And we're yoked together for life. Amen. This is not just a, a, a random occurrence, but we're yoked together for life. 
And, uh, and there are intercessors that are warring on your behalf even now, intercessors that took the schedule of the conference and all of my speaking engagements, and they're fasting and they're praying and they're warring on your behalf and on behalf of this time that we have together. And uh, the Lord is speaking to them prophetically, and I just know that the work of the kingdom is being established in our time together, and it flows through relationship. And so this is a beginning, and I'm, we're very, very thankful uh, for the time that we've had here. John chapter 5, verse 19. When you're there, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Oh, by the way, uh, good news for my wife this morning. Uh, many of you have been just praying and interceding and, and uh, warring in the heavenlies. Uh, but she found Noverita. Yeah. 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 She found her wandering around the slums. And she also found another little boy that had run off from the orphanage in the same slum. And she took them both to the other island and established them both in new households there. And, uh, and the Lord just did it. The Lord just removed every mountain from her path and removed every obstacle. And just the, the excitement in her voice. Uh, I didn't talk to her personally, but in her Facebook voice. Uh, <laughs> She said, the Lord did it. The Lord removed every obstacle. The Lord cleared the path. The Lord made it work. And so she's there with, with our little girl right now. But the Lord's get put a new faith in my spirit uh, to bring her to America. And I know it's impossible. But that word impossible is not in God's vocabulary. We talk about the distinction between the natural and the supernatural, but God makes no distinction. Because that which is supernatural to us is natural to God. And the question is, what world will we belong to? When we come to the place where we know Him, then that which is natural to Him becomes natural to us. It's like breathing. And the word I have for you today, it runs along that line. God wants to take us to another place. He wants to take us to a higher place. But what I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying is that the release of the kingdom flows naturally. It flows organically. The release of the kingdom does not flow through warfare. It flows through relationship. Warfare clears the path for relationship. A child is not brought into the world through warring, but through loving, through intimacy. And you have been born again, not of corruptible, but incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. I want you to understand the significance of that metaphor that's found in first Peter chapter one. I haven't gotten to the text yet. The word seed in the Greek is the word spermatos. It's where we get our word sperm from. You have been born again through the incorruptible sperm of God. That is, an impartation of God's very nature has given you an incorruptible life. So that your coming into being, your birth into the kingdom of God is the result of a relationship and a result of the impartation of God's very nature and very being. And everything flows through that intimacy with God. And so God wants to take us to a place where the life of the kingdom begins to organically flow through us. Now, 
Turn with me to John chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. John chapter 5, verse 16. This is what it says. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives life, gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus begins to reveal to us the organic life flow of the kingdom. The organic life flow of the kingdom. Say it's easy. It's easy. It's easy. It flows naturally. First of all, Jesus presents to us the principle of powerlessness. The son can do nothing on his own. The son can do nothing on his own. Before God uses you mightily, the first thing he has to show you is that you're nothing. And God takes you through those son can do nothing on his own seasons when you just can't do nothing. You know, you go through those seasons when nothing you do comes to anything. When everything you do falls apart. When stuff that used to work doesn't work anymore. And stuff that should work doesn't work. Stuff that should be a done deal, a slam dunk. It falls apart right before your very face. Because God has to establish you in the truth that you can do nothing on your own. What we don't realize is that when we first come into the service of the kingdom, all of us have a mixture of faith and self-sufficiency. A mixture of God can and I can. A mixture of, we have this idea that there's this partnership between me and God, 50-50. He does his work and I do my work and I'm, we meet in the middle and somewhere in the middle of that 50-50 relationship, the work of the kingdom is established. But one of the first things God has to destroy is that 50-50 mentality. How many know it's 100% God and 0% us? You can't save anyone. You can't heal anyone. You can't free anyone. You can't deliver anyone. You can't bless anyone. You can't refresh anyone. But all it takes is for God to use you once or twice in the early immature stages of your faith and the flesh on the inside of you starts to say, like the little train that could, I think I can. I think I can. I'll never forget when, when I was 18, 18, I just turned 18 years old. We started ministering in the jail where my mother ministers right now. My mother has this powerful, off-the-hook, crazy, ridiculous ministry in, in the jail there. And uh, we started going in. There was a team of us that would go in. 
And I remember the first time we went in, now we, I had absolutely no ministry experience, no ministry in the supernatural, nothing. I didn't know, we didn't know anything. We were just zealous for God. We were on fire. And so before that one meeting, we were ministering to about 30 or 40 women. We prayed night and day. We fasted for several days and we cried out to God. We spent whole days in prayer. We spent whole nights in prayer. We're crying out to God. And we went in there and sure enough, about 30 of those ladies rushed to the altar to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit started it falling and the first lady that got it it hit her so hard that she flew across the room and it and the power of god almost knocked the keyboard player off of off of his seat where he was sitting there playing the key you just saw the power it was almost like a visible manifestation pow and she went flying and she's speaking in tongues and at that very moment the keyboard player went Poof. Like he was slapped silly. He, he modulated. It was a spontaneous modulation. He went up a key without even intending to. And I remember at that altar call, there was this young, this young uh, girl that was in our class. And, uh, and uh, you know, she didn't even have really a sense of calling God to preach. Or, you know, you know, I've been dreaming about preaching before thousands and tens and thousands of people since I was, you know, a little boy. You know, I'd be just dreaming about standing on a platform preaching to hundreds of thousands. So I've been waiting for this day my entire life. But she had no aspirations she just wanted to serve God, maybe do some Sunday school, you know, maybe clean up the church and wash, you know, the curtains or something. She'd find something useful in the body of Christ. Maybe I could teach children's church or something. That's all. But she goes to the altar and she lays hands. And the first person she lays hands on, God just whacks them. Bam! They hit the floor. They're speaking in tongues. They're rolling around. And she stood there and did this. And she told me later, she said, the first thought that flashed through my mind is, wow, I must have such a pure heart. (laughs) I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. We all go through it. It's the natural stage. Don't, don't, you know, don't look at me like you're just 100% holy and, and humble from the very beginning. That never happened to me. I don't know what you're talking about. From the very beginning, I knew it was all God. And none of me. No, you didn't. Your flesh jumped up and said, wow, I'm awesome. I'm mighty. I'm powerful. And all of a sudden, God removes the tea from the teapot momentarily. And we always go through seasons for the rest of our lives where God simply reminds us, by the way, you can do nothing on your own. The son can do nothing on his own. Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life doing nothing on his own. The father hadn't anointed him to preach yet, so he didn't preach. The father hadn't anointed him to heal yet, so he didn't heal. The father hadn't anointed him to bring disciples yet, so he didn't bring them. The father hadn't anointed him to walk on water yet so he didn't walk the father hadn't anointed him yet and so he didn't do anything yet he simply lived in that stage of the son can do nothing on his own he lived in that stage when the father was revealing to him his own powerlessness and listen the revelation of your personal powerlessness is just as powerful as the revelation of God's power because if you get the second revelation without the first revelation you're setting yourself up for pride you're setting yourself up for arrogance and pride goes before a fall and God has to put you on the list of those he has to come against because it says he opposes the proud and make no mistake when God goes to oppose the proud that is one task that he doesn't delegate 
He does not send an angel to do it. He does not send disaster to do it. He does it himself. He comes down off of his throne. He said, I oppose the proud. And because God does not really want to judge us, the first thing he does is he takes us through those seasons in which he ingrains it in our mentality. The son can do nothing on his own. But then secondly, whatever he sees the father doing, the son can do. I can do whatever I see the father doing. The son can do what he sees the father doing. Secondly, first, you have to know that you're powerless. Second, you've got to know that you're a son or a daughter. First, he reveals to you that you're nothing, that you're powerless, that you're empty, that you got nothing, that you got no power, that you can't do nothing. That's what he revealed to Moses when he killed the Egyptian and then tried to break up the fight for the Hebrews. And they said, oh, you're going to kill us the way you killed the Egyptians. And he realized, oh, shoot, my secret is told. And he ran out into the wilderness of Midian and was there for 40 years, all because he tried to fulfill the call of God on his life. And the purpose of that failure, that early failure, and that 40 years in the wilderness was to teach him this one lesson. Moses, you can do nothing on your own. But once the principle of powerlessness is firmly established in your life, next is the principle of sonship, of daughterhood. You got to know that you're a son or a daughter. It's, it's, it's a very powerful thing. It's more powerful than you think. Because if you don't know whose son you are or whose daughter you are, you don't know what's in you. But if you know whose son you are, whose daughter you are, you know what's in you. You become comfortable in a certain environment. You become comfortable in a certain atmosphere. And even if in the beginning you don't think you can participate in it, you're right at home in it because you know, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I belong here. There's something intrinsically powerful about coming to grips with our sonship and our daughterhood in Christ. I remember when, when my brothers and I were little kids, I got two younger brothers and a younger sister, but before my little sister was born, my two brothers and I and my parents, we would go on these trips to Tahoe in the middle of the winter, and every once in a while my dad had bought the, the tire, the chains yet, and we'd be driving up to Tahoe and we're going around the mountain and there's ice on the road and all of a sudden the car would go into a spin. And my brothers and I are in the back seat going, yeah, 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 awesome. Do it again, dad. And my dad and mom are in the front seat going, Lord, keep us on the road in the name of Jesus. Keep us on the road. Sonship brings peace because it's not your job to keep the vehicle on the road. We'd be on the most treacherous roads and my brothers and I'd be back there sound asleep or fighting or playing or giggling or laughing. We never had any sense of danger. Why? Because daddy's driving and it's his job to keep the car on the road, not mine. I never once had a thought of danger. I never once had a thought of maybe the car's going to go off the road. I never once had a thought, maybe I need to grab the wheel. Maybe I need to jump up and throw my foot on the brakes. No, we never even thought about it. We're sons. That's not our place. That's not our role. Daddy's driving. Daddy's driving. If you can't rest, you just don't know that daddy's driving. Or you don't know who your daddy is. And so when God takes you into that season, when he begins to reveal your sonship or your daughterhood, he begins to show you that you can sit in the back seat and rest because your daddy is driving. 
And you can go through the worst trial in life. You feel like you're on a roller coaster, but you throw up your hand and say, Daddy, do it again. Again. Woo, this is fun. It's fun to lose my business and to lose my home. It's fun when all of my finances fall apart. It's fun when my relationships are destroyed. It's fun. It's fun when my car gets destroyed in an accident. Why? It's, I'm on a roller coaster, but daddy's driving and I'm locked in securely and I'm safe and a thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it won't come near my dwelling because daddy's driving. Remember when I was a little boy, I was scared all the time as I grew up in the ghetto. If you grow up in the ghetto, you're scared all the time. People would break in our house while we were there. What kind of crook? What kind of thugs? Stupid. Let's break in their house at three o'clock in the morning. Maybe the whole family's at the club. What are you thinking? One day, my brothers and I come home. My dad picked us up from school, and we come home. And when we come, we go go up. Some, we went in the backyard, and and we come up to the back door, and the door is busted open, and the handle's broken off. And we said, "Dad, what'd you do that to the door for?" And he just smiled, and we walk in the house, and the refrigerator door's open, and there's food all over the counter, and it's all open, and there's a jar of. I, I one thing I remember is that jar of apple juice. The lid was off, and it was sitting on the counter. I said. Dad, are you drinking out of the apple juice bottle? What are you doing? And we go in the living room and the TV's gone and the stereo's gone. We're like, Dad, what'd you do with the TV and the stereo? We had no concept that this had happened to us because nothing can happen to us when Daddy's around. We're safe. And he just smiled and called the police. <laughs> he never told us, you know, he just smiled, you know, and so... It's all right, guys. You know, daddy knows what he's doing. Man, I guess we're getting a new one. (laughs) I remember my cousin came over one day and he told me about the Night Stalker. You ever heard of the Night Stalker? You know, some people just need to be horse whipped. Little kids who tell other little kids scary stories late at night and then leave. They need to go straight to prison. Some parents need to learn how to control their kids. So I'm playing with my older cousin and we're playing and we're having fun. And all of a sudden he said, do you know about the night stalker? Now we're, I'm like five or six and he's like seven and he's all, he's a cold blooded killer. He's out for blood. He climbs in your window in the middle of the night. He slits the throat of every member of your family. Then he climbs back out the window. No one ever knows he was there. They don't find your body for days. Your house begins to reek with a foul stench of rotting flesh. And I'm like, and he goes, okay, have a good night. I'll see you later. And he leaves and he goes home. That night I'm laying up, I'm laying in bed in the middle of the night like, and every little noise I hear, er, it's him. I know it's him. And I would be scared to death in the middle of the night, scared to death. And all of a sudden I would hear the bedroom door open and I would think he's here. But then all of a sudden I'd see the silhouette image of my father walk into the hallway and as confirmation 
I would hear him scratch his chest. <laughs> his big, hairy chest. And when I would hear the scratching of that chest, I knew it was my daddy. And he would go into the living room and he would sit down on the couch. It's like he was standing guard over me. And safety would come. Because the Night Stalker's no match for my daddy. There's something about a son, about a daughter that just knows that there's no one, no one is any match for my daddy. My daddy will kick your daddy's butt. <laughs> we used to get in arguments at school about whose daddy would whoop on whose daddy. My daddy makes more money than your daddy. My daddy's bigger than your daddy. All of a sudden there was peace because I knew who's, who my daddy was and whose son I was. Now watch this. Growing up in my home, uh, everyone was a, a musician. Everybody. Um, you know, my mother w w is just an amazing vocalist, an amazing singer. She's a gospel singer. Um, you know, we do... She grew up doing black gospel. I do light-skinned gospel. I, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do gospel light, but no, she does the real thing. You know, if you want the real authentic gospel, you know, I do the Israel Houghton gospel. That's kind of like, you know, that's like light skinned gospel, not light skinned, light skinned. Anyway. And we would have these, you know, we would have these family jam sessions where everybody would come over and my aunt would get on the piano and then my uncle would jump on the piano. Somebody else would jump on the piano and we set up our living room at, at, a, at a certain point. We set up our living room like a, like a, a perform, you know, like a hall, you know, a drum set, piano. And we'd have a, my brother would pull out a saxophone and, you know, we just had all these instruments in the house and we were, I played the trumpet. But growing up, my father was the director of the Ebony Symphony Orchestra and choir. And so he's doing classical music. And, he, and I remember when I was just a little, wee little kid, maybe two years old, I'd come in the living room, you know, and my daddy would have his, his uh, stereo playing and he'd be playing Tchaikovsky's New World Symphony or something, you know, and he'd have his whole score there and he'd have his baton. You know, and he's doing his thing and I would just be sitting there going. I had to functify it a little bit, you know, I just ghettofy it a little bit. <laughs> but anyway, you know, my dad would put his baton down and he'd leave the room and I'd run up, I'd grab his baton. <laughs> Didn't know what in the world I was doing. I just saw daddy doing this. And so I can do it because I see the father doing it. I, don't, I can't tell you how many batons I broke. My dad would go sit down at the piano and just play. You know, sometimes the chord didn't quite make it, so he'd have to add a note. And I would think, wow, awesome. So I just believed I could play the piano because I saw the father doing it. And so I'd go sit at the piano. Bang, dang, 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 and I would just bang. And I would try to feel stuff out. 
And I would listen to stuff and try to play it. And after a while, it started sounding good. It never dawned on me that I couldn't play the piano. I never had anxiety about it. Like, oh, I want to learn to play the piano, but I don't think I can because I don't know if I have any piano talent. I need to take a, a giftedness test to see if I'm gifted in music. No, I just saw the Father doing it. So I just assumed I can do it because I can see the Father doing it. It just flows organically because this is the household I grow up in and I hear my mother singing and I hear my father singing and I see my mother playing the piano and I, I mean, my father playing the piano, I see my uncle playing the piano. He could play anything he, hear, he heard and I see, you know, and I hear my uncle Hannibal who's now on America's Got Talent and he's a, an opera singer, you know, and I hear him doing opera. Hannibal Means, that's his name. Hannibal Means. Hannibal Means. Anyway, he's an opera singer. Just check it out. Just, just, just go to America's Got Talent and watch it. But, uh, but I would see it and I just believed that I could do it because I see my father and my mother doing it. Now, if I, if I didn't know I was a son, I would never assume I could do it. If I had an orphan mentality, if I thought I was adopted, if I believed I was adopted, if, if I didn't know that I was their own flesh and blood, that I came from them, that it, I was an organic product of their love and their intimacy. I would never assume that that flowed in me, but because I knew that I was a son, because I knew that I was the product of their very nature, of their very essence, of their very being, and of their very intimacy and love, because there was something intrinsic in me that knew that, I just assumed but I could do it because I see the Father doing it. And it just flowed naturally. And before I knew it, I was singing and I was playing the piano and I was doing music and I was doing everything I saw the Father doing. Jesus said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. And I can do it because I see Him doing it. So the first key is you've got to know you're powerless. Second key you got to know that you're a son or a daughter. But the third key is you got to see what the Father is doing. There are a lot of sons and daughters in many homes that simply live in their rooms. They don't even interact with the Father. So they have no idea what He's doing. They don't even know what's in them. And in order to enter into your essence in order to enter into your identity as a son or a daughter of God you got to come out of your bedroom you got to come out of your closet you got to come out of your hiding place and go into the secret place and you got to observe the father for a while you got to see what the father's doing you've got to develop a sense of intimacy with the father where you found him in the secret place where you where the veils are being removed from your eyes and you begin to see what the father is doing and i believe every believer in jesus christ needs to begin to pray that god would begin to remove veils from your eyes so that you can see what the father is doing listen that's all you need is to see what the father is doing if you can see what the father is doing you can do it I was ministering in Indonesia in Banda Aceh a few years ago, and um, the Lord told us, and I don't have time to tell the whole story, but the Lord told us when we were on the way in that uh, we were to prepare the church to go through a time of great persecution. The Lord said, tell the church that persecution's coming. Tell them not to be afraid because I'm going to be with them. And uh, I said, uh, Lord, I don't think I can do that. See, I've got a little fear problem here. I can't really tell the church not to be afraid when I'm afraid. 
Matter of fact, now that you've told me that, I don't think I want to go to Banda Aceh anymore. I think I, f I hear you calling me to Hawaii to minister to the islands. And all of a sudden, I, the presence of the Lord came, and I felt the hand of the Lord just touch me in the chest. And all of that pain just left. I mean, all that fear just left. We go into Banda Aceh, and the first church that we're ministering at, actually, my wife was at another church at the same time, and um, ministering, you could feel the fear in the atmosphere. Even when we came into the town, you could feel the fear. You could see pastors sitting, talking together, and the fear was so thick in the room, you felt like you were being choked. It was as if the church was beginning to sense that the atmosphere for persecution was rising and they knew what was coming on them. They were scared to death. And I stood up in that church and I said, the Lord says your suspicion is correct. You are about to be persecuted and you're about to go through a, deep, a time of deep and great persecution. The Lord says, don't be afraid because the Lord says, I'll be with you. And all of a sudden, fear just started to melt. And now all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me out of the blue and I just heard the, the word of the Lord say, throat, throat. So somebody here has a throat illness. Somebody here has pain in your throat. And all of a sudden this guy at the back of the room raises. Now there's only about 80, 90 people in the room. The guy raises and that's me, that's me. So he comes, I said, I want two or three people to lay hands on him. So they lay hands on him. So I said, all right, you're healed, right? He said, nope. Pain's not gone. Nope. I said, lay your hands on him again. They laid their hands on him again. They prayed. We, and I prayed. I led the prayer from the microphone. Okay, you're healed, right? Nope. I said, hold on a second. God shows up only to show out. God does not reveal something and then not do it. God does not say, by the way, I just want you to know that I know you're sick. Good luck with that. Come here. The guy came to the front. I laid my hands on him. All of a sudden, he broke and began to weep, lifted his hands. Then the worship team began, and he started singing. Came and took the microphone after the song, and he said, I've been in such excruciating pain for the last 48 hours that I haven't been able to eat or drink or sleep or speak. The pain in my throat was so excruciating, and it has been so excruciating, that I can't concentrate on anything else around me. He said, I woke up this morning and I said, I'm not going to go to church. But something in my heart said, you get yourself to the house of God right now. He said, I came to the church and I didn't even know why I was here because I was in so much pain. I couldn't even participate in the worship. And honestly, I didn't. He looked at me and said, I didn't hear a word you said. So the first thing I heard was someone here has pain in your throat. He said, the first two times, nothing happened. But when you laid your hands on me, the pain instantly, immediately and completely left. And I'm completely healed. And he said, now I can worship and praise and I can testify of what God's done for me. And everyone just began to rejoice and an explosion of worship happened. You know what gave me the boldness to keep pressing? I might have tried one time and no. Oh, well. We do that a lot, right? Lord, heal. How you feel? No different. No? Oh, well. Lord, heal him. How you feel? No? Oh, well. Lord, heal. Lord, save my cousin. Hey, cousin, are you saved yet? No? Oh, well. Lord, save my other cousin. We're popcorn Christians. We're experiencing the McDonaldization of Christianity. We're preaching a fast food gospel. We want it quick. We want it cheap. And we want it big. 
We want God to supersize it for 99 cents and we want to drive through and pick it up. But when you begin to see that the Father is doing it, when you begin to know that the Father is doing it, when suddenly there's an awareness on the inside of you, the Father is doing this, then you're just going to learn how to linger and stay there and stand your ground in faith and say, I don't care how long I have to stand or how many times I have to pray, the Father is doing this. We were ministering in a village in Indonesia in a, on the island of Nias in one of the far reaches areas where no foreigner had ever been before. And we had to drive three hours on the back of a motorcycle up and down, up and down on the side of a mountain. The, the road was about two feet or three feet wide and there was a steep drop off the side that went down maybe a couple hundred feet and there was no guardrail. And to make matters worse, the, the road was made at, not out of gravel but out of big stones the size of my fist. So the road is moving under us. And you're hanging on, you know, I'm hanging on the back of this motorcycle and the road's moving under us and he's like full speed ahead, you know. And we're going up and then down and then up. And then down and around and up and down. And we get to this village and uh, there's a little church in the village. Now, in all, most of these village areas, there's churches because the island is statistically 87% Christian. But actually, it's more 87% nominal slash fake Christian. But um, um, and there's a lot of animism and witch doctors and paganism mixed in with, with their version of Christianity. And so what we do is we go into these, into these far reaches areas and we bring the kingdom. And we establish the testimony of Jesus. And we confront the powers and principalities that have a stronghold there. And we see demonic possession. And we see all kinds of stuff happening. Well, we're in one of those villages. And uh, the, the people from surrounding villages heard that foreigners were coming. So they walked hours to get there. Some of them walked eight hours to get there. And there were more people outside. There were twice as many people outside the church as there were inside the church. I mean, it was packed. They had to open the windows and open the doors. And you could look through the windows and see people in the back doors and the people all up the side of the hill. I mean, it was crazy. And we had a four-hour service there. Well, the next morning we woke up and um, they said, let's have a healing service. Or one, of my, one, of my, the, the, one of my team members, actually he's my assistant pastor, said, we're going to have a healing service today. I said, all right, man, this brother's got some faith. All right, let's do it, right? So we call them all in, and we're having another service. And, and uh, I just felt dead up in that piece. <laughs> it just felt dry. It just felt dead. I just felt like nothing was happening. And so, you know, I'm at the altar, and I'm ministering. And there's this boy, and his leg, his right leg was curved under so that the bottom of his right foot was touching his knee. I mean, the, the bone was curved. So the bottom of his right foot was touching his left knee. And so I'm walking by and his mother lifts him up and, and hands him to me. Like, heal him. That was kind of the look on her face. Show me the goods. And so I'm holding this kid up and I'm looking at this mangled limb. I'm like, oh, snap. And I'm just kind of thinking in the back of my, my head, you know, good luck. You know what I mean? I can pray, but dang, Gina, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll do my best, but, you know, Smith Wigglesworth isn't here, you know, I mean, uh, you know, so I, you know, I just pray, okay, Lord, heal him in Jesus name. And I'm praying passionately, fervently, Lord, heal him, you know, mustering all the faith I can, Lord, heal him, God, in Jesus name, heal him, nothing, no, okay, and I handed him back to her, and I turned to move on, it's like, I did my best, you know, that's all I can be required of me, right, I did my best. 
And I turned to go to the next person. And the moment I handed her this, the child and turned like this, the Spirit of the Lord came. And I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, the kingdom of God is here. Something clicked. It was like Paul in Illyricum seeing the man lame from his mother's womb and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. It was like Peter coming in the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3 and seeing the man lame for 40 years and perceiving. He says, look at me. He's perceiving in the spirit that the father is about to do something. We've misinterpreted that, that Acts chapter 3 passage for a long time. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And I've heard it interpreted so many times that what Peter had was the name of Jesus. And if you have the name of Jesus, you pronounce the name of Jesus, you can do the same thing Peter does. Well, how's that working out for you? How many lame people have you healed at the gate? Peter had more than just a magic spell in the name of Jesus. He had a revelation that Jesus was doing this miracle right now. In other words, he saw what the Father was doing through his Son, Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden in this village, and I turned to the left, and I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, the kingdom of God is here. And I turned to this woman, I said, give me the child again. And I held him up. I said, Lord, in my heart, I said, Lord, if the kingdom of God is here, then this child's going to walk today. I looked at that leg. I said, straighten in Jesus' name. And the leg went. Yeah. I went. No way. That can't be real. Unbelief hit me like a ton of bricks. And the child's walking around and the mother's crying. So I grabbed the translator. I said, go ask that woman, did that child ever walk before? And the translator looked at me and said, didn't you just see that leg straight? <laughs> I said, just ask her, just ask her. Said, All right. So she goes, and she asked him, you know, did that child ever walk before? She goes, no. This is the first time my son has ever walked before in his life. Wow. What's the formula? See what the Father's doing. Watch this. Jesus says, the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. If there's something that my Father does that I want Him to show me, do you think He'll refuse to show me? No, He loves me. He'll show me all that He does. And Jesus says, He'll show me greater things than these to your amazement. And you need to know that you are sons and daughters in whom the Father is well pleased. He loves you. And He's going to show you all He does. He's going to show you all He does. As you're being established in your powerlessness. And then established in your sonship and daughterhood. God is removing veils from your eyes so that you begin to see what the Father is doing. And the very last step of that is faith. Faith is the confidence that the Father is going to show you what He's doing. I don't care where I go or what I do, the Father is going to show me what He's doing. 
I don't care who I pray for. The Father is going to show me what He's doing. I don't care what country I'm in. The Father is going to show me what He's doing. I don't care what street I'm on. I don't care if they hate the gospel. I don't care if they hate my Jesus. I don't care if they hate me. I don't care if I'm in a prison. I don't care if I'm on a platform. The Father is going to show me what He's doing because the Father loves me. And the Father wants you to know today that it doesn't matter where you go or what you do. God is calling you to rise up in the faith that the Father is going to show me what He's doing. And listen, I, listen, I'm telling you, you want a cure for depression? You can't be depressed when you know the Father's going to show you what He's doing. You can't be discouraged when the, you know the Father's about to show you what He's doing. You can't wake up in the morning going, oh no. Oh, no. You'll wake up every morning going, good morning, Jesus. I can't wait to see what you and I are going to do together today. And all of a sudden, you discover that there is a partnership between you and Jesus. It's not a 50-50 partnership, but it's all of God. It's a 100 and 100 partnership. It's all of God in all of you and through all of you. Hmm. Hmm. Woo. I just sense it right now. Some veils are being removed. Come on, just stand up and lift your hands to heaven. Right now, the Father is removing veils from over your eyes. And you're going to begin to see what the Father's doing. You're going to see who the Father's healing. You're going to see who the Father's delivering. You're going to see who the Father's setting free. You're going to see. You're going to see who the Father's encouraging. Who the Father's empowering. You're going to see it. The Father is opening your eyes. Come on, just receive that right now in the name of Jesus. Just receive it. There's just a corporate revelation happening. A corporate revelation happening right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, take it. Take it right now in the name of Jesus. Take it right now in the name of Jesus. There's a corporate revelation. A corporate opening of eyes. A corporate unveiling that's happening right now. The Father loves you. And He shows you everything that He's doing. He shows you everything that He's doing. He's not going to hide anything from you. He's not going to hide it. He will show you. Mm. Hallelujah. Mm. Mm. Whew. One day God was walking with Abraham and Abraham was following behind. And God says, shall I hide from my servant Abraham what I'm about to do he said I can't hide it Abraham come here I got to tell you what I'm about to do up in this piece see those two cities down there Sodom and Gomorrah I'm getting ready to destroy them the prophet Amos said surely the Lord does nothing without first consulting his servants the prophets God doesn't do anything without making known what he's about to do the question is whose ears are open. The question is whose eyes are open. The question is who is attentive to his cry. The question is whose ears are in tune to his voice. The question is who will hear the cry of my heart. The question is who has believed his report. The question is who has stood in his counsel to see and to hear the words of the Lord. And I hear the Lord saying I'm calling you to stand in my counsel. I'm calling you to stand in my counsel. I'm calling you to stand in my counsel. It's not about what you're about to do. It's about what God's about to do. It's not about what you desire to do. It's about what God desires to do. It's not about what you envision. It's what God envisions. And today God wants to overcome and overwhelm your vision with his vision. 
Right now, in the name of Jesus, I just see vision replacement happening. Some of you have been here trying to get God to rubber stamp what you've envisioned. But what He's envisioned is so much bigger. And He'll show it to you today if you'd simply release that thing to Him and say, God, not me, you. It's not about me. It's not about me. Not my will. Your will be done. Father, I just release that spirit of sonship, that spirit of daughterhood in the house. It's going to flow organically. It's easy because you're sons and daughters. The father can't help but show you what he's about to do. Mm. Ah. I'm just going to release this word in the house. I could call one of you out, but it's corporate. I'd call one of you out, and it's on behalf of all of you. I'm just going to release it. One day, my, my dad picked my two brothers and I up from school. We got in the car, and he pulled out of the parking lot of the school, and he just drove. He didn't say a word. And he drove up the route that we normally take to go home, and we all thought we were going home. And then he passed our street. We said, Dad, where are you going? No response. He hung a, a left and got on the freeway. We said, Dad, where are you going? No response. We drove for about 15, 20 minutes. Dad, where are we going? And I was mad inside because I had my whole evening planned out. I'm going to go home and get a bowl of cereal and plop down in front of the TV. Watch some cartoons. After a couple hours, I'm going to call one of my homies. We're going to go play basketball. I had the whole day planned out. My dad's messing up my plan. So I'm mad the whole way. Dad, why don't you tell me where we're going? Because I'm thinking, you know, give me, the, give me the option of opting out of it. But he gives me no option. He simply drives. Well, didn't even look at me. Just kept driving. I'm sitting in the front seat mad. All of a sudden, he pulls up in front of the Oakland Coliseum. We drive up to the window. He shows them a VIP pass. They push us, send us to the right. Everybody else is going to the left. We have VIP parking. And all of a sudden, we go into the Coliseum, and our seats are right on the floor. There's no one in front of us but the cameras. And I believe it's the Detroit Pistons playing the Oakland Warriors, uh, the Golden State Warriors. Isaiah Thomas. Manute Bowl. And I remember thinking to myself, this is so much better than Cheerios and cartoons. There's some of you here today, you've encountered the silence of the Father. He's passed the exit you thought he was going to get off. He passed the street you thought you were going to, and he's just driving, and he's not even speaking to you. He's not even telling you where you're going, and you're crying out in your heart in confusion. God, you got to tell me where I'm going. you got to tell me where I'm going. But what he wants from you today is to trust that he's good, that he's got a plan for you that's better than the one you had for yourself. He's got something that's better for you than your Cheerios, than your Fruit Loops, than your cartoons, than your friend Andre and your little game of basketball. I was going to play basketball in the street. Instead, I got to sit in the front row in, a, in, in the worldwide platform and watch the greatest players in the world play. And God says, I'm going to sit you in a seat before the great. I'm going to sit you before the great. And I'm going to put your hind feet in high places. But don't ask me where you're, where I'm going. Don't ask me where we're going. Just know that you're daddy is driving I just release you into that place right now I release you into that place of patient endurance I release you into that place right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and there will be no more anxiety about it 
You're going to start rejoicing even in your ignorance. You're going to start rejoicing even in your confusion. Because one thing you know is daddy's driving. I may not know where I am, but I know who's driving me. I may not know where I'm going, but I know who I'm with. I know who's in the driver's seat. He's my daddy. He cannot fail to take me to my destination. Mm. Hallelujah. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it, Father. Come on, just begin to rejoice in the Lord. Come on, just lift your voices. Oh, just begin to worship the Lord. Oh, worship the Lord, worship the Lord, worship the Lord. Lord, we give you glory. Lord, we give you praise. We give you praise. Now and always, forever and ever, we give you praise. Now and always, forever and ever, we give you praise. Now and always, Forever and ever, ever and ever, we give you praise. We give you praise, we give you praise. Uh. Now let me tell you what the Father is doing right now. What the Father is doing is He's removing the cloud from your mind. That's what the Father is doing right now. One of the marks of an apostolic ministry is clarity. And you need to begin to expect that every time your pastor steps into this place to preach, he's going to bring apostolic clarity. That's what's happening this morning right now. Some of you came in here in a fog, in a haze, in a dense cloud. I'll never forget, I was driving to church one morning, early one Sunday morning, as I was coming up over the, over the Dublin grade, the fog was so thick in front of me that I couldn't see 10 feet in front of where I was driving. And I was driving 20 miles an hour because I was so afraid I was going to hit someone or drive off the side of the hill or something. And I, I began to weep in my spirit. And, and I said, Lord, this is how I feel spiritually. I don't know where I'm going. And God spoke to me so clearly. He said, son, trust me to lead you beyond your ability to follow me. And some of you are feeling anxiety because you don't feel like you know how to follow him. I don't know how to follow you, Lord, because I don't know where you're going. But the Lord says, you don't have to know. All you have to know is I know how to lead you. I am able to lead you. I'm more capable of leading you than you are of following me. And you have to trust that. Wherever I go, I trust that he's leading me. That he is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And he is keeping you from falling and he is presenting you blameless before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Hallelujah. And there's strength for the journey. There's no more doubt. Epic faith. Retarded faith. Redonkulous faith. Stupid faith. It's crazy faith. It's outlandish faith. It's offensive faith. It's reckless faith. It's inappropriate faith. (laughs) You got it. It's just released into the house right now. Father, seal it right now with great joy. I just released a wave of the joy of the Lord right now. A wave of the joy of the Lord's coming over you right now. Hallelujah. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. 
Amen.